0: What famous baseball player was hired at age 62 to play for the Atlanta Braves? What? Really?
1: (laughs) This will be interesting. Will it? And how many different professions has Barbie had? (laughs) A lot of different professions in 60 years' time.
0: I'll bet. Answers to those and
1: other questions coming up in this half hour of The Off-Ramp with Bob... And Marsha. ...Smith. ...Smith. Welcome to The Off-Ramp, a chance to slow down, steer clear of crazy, take a side road to sanity, and get some perspective on life with fascinating facts and tantalizing trivia. Indeed. Well, Marcia, that was a compelling opening question you have there. Thank you, dear. A famous Major League Baseball player, was hired by the Atlanta Braves at age 62 to play?
0: Yeah. He asked 20 teams to take him on their roster, and only one responded. This is a famous guy, Bob. Okay. He's a pitcher.
1: He's a pitcher. It's not let's see, a pitcher.
0: Yeah, and the year was 1966.
1: Wow. I have no idea.
0: Satchel Paige. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. And why was he looking for employment at 62? Well,
1: that's a good question. Yes. Was it the money?
0: It was the pension. He was 158 days short of getting his pension.
1: His Major League Baseball pension?
0: Yes. Okay. Yes. He reached out to 20 teams, Bob, and nobody hired him except the Braves.
1: He just needed to get on a payroll for 158 days, yeah. and he would make his pension. Yeah. Wow. Yeah.
0: Which he needed, uh, and he was one of the most famous pitchers of all time, and
1: and for some listeners who didn't know who Satchel Page was, he was a legendary black baseball player who played in the Negro Leagues and then got into the Major Leagues and was
0: excellent. He was an excellent player. Oh, he's one of the best of all time. Yeah. No question about it. And uh, what's interesting is this is 1966. The Milwaukee Braves team moved in uh, what is it about sixty four yeah, to, to Atlanta?
1: That was a big controversy.
0: Yeah, and uh, the reason I got to this story is because Bob Uecker, who is still the voice of the Milwaukee Brewers, he was a catcher back then with the Braves. I was listening to the game yesterday, and he talked about playing with Satchel Paige, and I went, "Huh? How could that be?" And it's because he and Hank Aaron both left Milwaukee. The Milwaukee Braves and went to Atlanta when they were sold, and uh, that's when they hired uh, Satchel Page. Oh, so, so they
1: both went to work for uh, the Braves as Atlanta Braves, that's uh-huh. right. And that's, then Satchel Page was there.
0: He was hired as a part time pitcher and an advisor to their pitching staff. So I don't think he even threw one pitch. But he was there. He, he was, was there technically practicing. hired to play, yeah, in case and they he, wanted to use yeah, him. Yeah, he was always on deck and you know practicing.
1: <laughs> that is so fascinating. And all
0: the rules changed changed uh, with the MLB, Major League Baseball. Because of his plight, they changed a lot of rules so more people would become eligible and get their money quicker and more their older pensions. older players. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
1: yeah. A lot of those things needed to change. It yeah. needed to change in football as people well. People
0: were... A gas that he couldn't get his pension.
1: Oh, my. And, uh, After being such a star.
0: He was a huge star. Okay, from Satchel Page to Barbie. Tell me we don't cover the waterfront. That's Bob. right. And Barbie's <laughs> been
1: around a long time, too 60 years. And in 60 years, how many different professions has Barbie had? Do you have any <laughs> idea, Marsha? Oh, uh,
0: gosh. 50.
1: No? This okay. came from the New York Times uh, article, The Things That Make Barbie Barbie. They had a lot of little sidebars. And one was about Barbie's professions. Okay. Barbie has had over 250. No. 250 occupations <laughs> Well she's a busy little bee We mentioned a few of them last episode but I'll run through a few more here it's kind of fun Early on you could buy Barbie as a ballerina with ribboned shoes as a student teacher with notebooks and glasses or as a registered nurse with medicine a hot water bottle and a diploma <laughs> did she <laughs> all these were miniature things remember we, yeah yeah since that time Barbie's been a fighter pilot Really a UNICEF ambassador? a marine biologist, cupcake chef, computer engineer, and aerobics instructor. And when the space race took off, she became an astronaut with a well, white cool. a white helmet, a silver suit, and snazzy zip moon boots. I'd... They'd have to be fashion forward, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Later on, Barbie became a veterinarian, complete with a white jacket, plastic cats and dogs, and a stethoscope. Did you know Barbie was an Olympic swimmer at one time? I don't doubt it. There was a Olympic with those legs <laughs> Olympic swimmer Barbie with goggles and medals and an entrepreneur armed with an iPhone and a tablet displaying a bar chart <laughs> In recent years Barbie who has never had children
0: That's interesting Yeah
1: she's focused on building a career in STEM so they had Ooh. Barbies that represented uh, science, technology, engineering, mathematics—all fields that women were underrepresented. And did she marry Ken? She never married. Oh, so, so
0: she was a single gal.
1: This is an interesting thing. Barbie never married, and Ken never lived in the Barbie dream house.
0: <laughs> Ken, Ken
1: always left at night. You know, after... that's why it was still a dream house. Yeah, Ken left after the date. He never stayed. <laughs> I found this out. This is funny. Anyway, Barbie's become a robotics engineer, a software developer, and you can get free coding classes for those who buy those dolls. Hmm. So those are all from the things that make Barbie Barbie from the New York Times. I thought those were fascinating. Oh, one more thing. Did you know Barbie has a Pantone color? It's pink, of course.
0: <laughs> but but there's enough, pink? There's
1: an official Barbie shade Anybody who's worked in advertising or art knows this that all colors are empirically set with yeah. specific mixtures. Yeah. There is a Pantone swatch 219C <laughs> which has a shade of pink that was already available but the they Barbie and it. Barbie and Mattel and Pantone came together and uh, awarded her that so it's Barbie pink.
0: Well that's kind of cute. Okay, <laughs> well that's that's uh how long has she been on the market? 60 some. Isn't she ready for a pension?
1: 60 odd years. Yeah, there's probably a Barbie pension coming. <laughs> I I would think,
0: think, yeah. Retirement Barbie. It'd be a pink piece of paper, you know? (laughs) Yes, senior living Barbie. (laughs) Can't wait for that. Okay. All right, Bob. I was reading Popular Mechanics the other day. Oh, yes.
1: Uh, I always see that in your hands. Okay.
0: Scientists call this GPM 1839.
1: GPM
0: 1839? Yeah. GPM J1839-10. j (laughs) 1839
1: Okay, I'm confused. Okay, what is this? Been,
0: well this has been going on since nineteen eighty eight. What is it? GPM
1: and then all those numerals yeah. after that? Yeah. I have no idea. Is it a formula?
0: Well it, it no. What it's is it? What they gave this name and it's
1: Aren't you gonna give me any clues?
0: Uh Not this one.
1: Oh, thanks.
0: It's a mysterious pulsating light that appears in space every 21 minutes. Really? Since 1988, and scientists cannot figure out what it is. Holy cow. Isn't that weird? Yes. Some things in the universe shine with constant light, but some beam with light from other sources, and some are large explosions, and some pulsate like a ticking or a flashing. But this isn't like any of those. It just doesn't fit into any category, and they're still looking every 21 minutes on the dot.
1: Wow, that's scary.
0: Yeah, it pulsates. (laughs)
1: Mm. Okay, speaking of science, how do today's semiconductor chips add up compared to the first from the 1950s? Add up? Well, uh, what's the comparison in terms of the number of transistors?
0: How many transistors are in it?
1: Are in a semiconductor chip. Today, two. Well, no, that was what it was in the 1950s. Oh, now it's like 150. Now. now it's a lot more than that. The first semiconductor chips, which were invented in the late 1950s, they held only a handful of transistors. But today, the primary semiconductor in a new smartphone, in your new smartphone, which you need to get, Marsha. <laughs> I do. <laughs> has between 10 and 20 billion transistors.
0: 10 to 20 billion transistors. Nothing can be that small. Yes,
1: because each is about the size of a virus. (laughs) It's all done through photo engraving. They just reduce, reduce, reduce the size of these things. Isn't that amazing?
0: Well, it's unfathomable.
1: Yes, it is, but far less threatening than the the pulsating light that's (laughs) being seen in outer space every 20 minutes. Oh, my God.
0: Uh, All right. Well, that's... uh... That's amazing. I didn't realize it was that many at all. I have
1: an interesting food fact. I'm going to ask you this, since we're talking science. There is a certain type of breaded coating that's made using electric current. It's probably something you've had on some food you've eaten. What kind of breaded coating is made using electric current?
0: Kind of breaded coating. I, I don't On know. On food. I, I don't know. Panko. Panko. I guess the only one I know yes. is panko.
1: Panko is a type of flaky breadcrumbs used in Japanese cuisine as a crunchy coating for fried foods. And panko is made from bread baked by an electric current that results in bread without a crust. And huh. I've never thought of that. Uh, panko is created by grinding the bread to create fine slivers of crumbs, and it has a crisper, airier texture, and it all comes from that electric current being applied to it, Well, often I'll, used on seafood and typically available in Asian markets.
0: I'll be danged. Well, I have a food question for transition. Okay. Where will you find in the United States, Bob, the oldest Chinese restaurant?
1: The oldest Chinese restaurant yeah. In the United States Yeah I would say San Francisco Because that was where A lot of the early Chinese That's exactly Emigrants uh, came It's
0: exactly what I would have said
1: To build railroads and so forth But, but, it's, n- but not It's in Alney, Illinois
0: Close Butte, Montana <laughs> Oh, you're kidding <laughs> No Really It's still there The Pekin Noodle Parlor Has been continuously operating As a Chinese noodle parlor Since 1911 Wow In 2023 this place was named an American classic by the James Beard Foundation, nonetheless. less. Wow. It's called Pekin Noodle Parlor. Wow. And Pekin is the, another way in the old days of saying Peking. Okay. So, so it's a noodle parlor. And it's still a family-run business started by Tam Kwanyi. Yee. And his chief clientele back in the day were Railroad
1: workers, miners, miners. Okay, yeah,
0: up yeah. in Montana, and so he he was a one-shop place. You could get your noodles, you could get your. Uh, in, he had gaming parlors and an opium den. Oh my God! And you can still <laughs> see them there in the basement. <laughs> uh, but it's such a
1: good restaurant. The James Beard is giving it great ratings. That's well, interesting. It, it
0: named it an American classic.
1: Okay. So, okay. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it had everything you could possibly want, (laughs) including great noodles.
1: You mentioned Ken, Barbie's boyfriend. Yeah. (laughs) I, I got a bit about Ken. Okay. He was introduced in 1961, I guess it was. He has remained a secondary character in Barbie's life. Ken never, as I said, never stayed overnight in Barbie's dream house, doesn't live there. Only Barbie does. He never has been depicted as having an important job. He's been like somebody who works at the beach or, you know, some other things. Just drove her around all the time. Yeah, drove her around and everything. In the words of some critics, Barbie did to Ken what some men do to women in real life. She made him a secondary character. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, in 2017, Mattel, like they did with Barbie, they released a lot of different ethnic Barbies, you know. Did they? Yeah. Oh, yeah. But uh, Barbie released a suite of Ken dolls with different races, body shapes, and hairdos in 2017.
0: Well that's good. I, I know there was evolution of the American girl doll. Yeah. We never bought the Barbies for our daughter and I never played with them. We just like more cuddly things. But the American Girl that went through all that was very interesting. There was a
1: time I remember when I and a lot of people, I know feminists, thought Barbie was like the enemy. You know, this is an exploitative thing. You know, it's a bad image for girls. And it was all based, focused on the physical. But what was totally unique? What made Barbie totally unique when she was introduced? Uh, Her figure. That's just part of it. When she was introduced, she was the first mass-produced doll to depict a girl as a grown-up, and that was the objective. Oh. That's what uh, Ruth Handler wanted to do. She wanted her daughter to have a toy like the ones that made her son want to grow up to be a firefighter or a policeman. Okay. At the time, there were no three-dimensional toys like that on the market; only baby dolls, which encouraged girls to practice motherhood.
0: Okay. Hey, Bob, what was the first country to grant women the right to vote in national elections?
1: What year was that?
0: 1893.
1: Wow. 1893, first country. It wasn't England, was it? Nope. But might have been an island
0: somewhere? Well...
1: Is it an island nation? No. Okay, I'm just thinking of some place that's either isolated, where women are needed for labor, you
0: know. (laughs) Well, this is isolated. Okay. New Zealand.
1: Oh, really?
0: And the language there is English, isn't it? Yes, it is. So
1: it was an English-speaking country. Yep.
0: that year, 1893, 90,000 women. They said, peacefully voted. Because <laughs> <apparently,
1: laughs> women were always known to be yeah, violently well, but voting. I
0: guess so. Oh, they my. were a little worried about a little disruption. And it took 27 years more for U.S. to hop on in 1920 with the 19th Amendment to let us vote.
1: So New Zealand was the pioneer then. Yeah, Yeah. Huh, that's great.
0: What year? That was 1893. Okay.
1: I think it's time for a, a break, don't you think? Is it already? Ta- time to go to the polling place and pull the lever. And <laughs> no, Nobody pulls levers anymore. We all, we all fill out paper ballots. It's like we've gone back to the ancient days or yeah, something. Yeah. All right. We'll be back with more in just a moment. You're listening to The Off-Ramp with Bob.
0: And Marsha. Smith. <laughs> I dozed off there for a minute. <laughs> I'm
1: Robert Rickman, host of OK Boomer. Yes, we like to entertain you with colorful features, boomer history, and brain fog. But we also tell you about serious stuff, such as... The amount of money taken in from property taxes continues to rise. The actual percentage allocated to senior centers is declining. We search all week for news boomers need to know and make it available to you on OK Boomer. We're available wherever you get your podcasts.
0: OK Boomer!
1: We're back. You're listening to The Off Ramp with Bob and Marcia Smith. We do this each week for the Cedarburg Public Library, Cedarburg, Wisconsin, and its CPL Radio internet radio station. And after that, it goes on podcast platforms throughout the world. Incidentally, if you are listening to our show, we would love to have people rate and review by going to the podcast platforms. That always helps us get more visibility on the web. Good point. All right, Marcia, we were talking about Barbie, and you mentioned her figure and all this and that. Did you know that Barbie was based on another? Well, I'm going to ask you, who was Build Lily, B-I-L-D, Lily?
0: Never heard of her.
1: Build Lily, she was the non-baby doll that inspired Barbie. Huh? Ruth Handler and the family, they were on a vacation in Europe When they saw this, you look at this original doll It looks just like Barbie to me Right away I thought, oh my god, oh, they copied really? Build Lily They did copy Build Lily But they did it you know by getting the rights to it Although there were there was some litigation Because the folks who did Build Lily Didn't think they got paid enough originally uh-huh. But it was a West German doll Based on a sexy female comic strip Build Lily was a young attractive secretary Created by cartoonist Reinhard Boothin And in the comic strip, she was confident, witty, and flirty, and she pursued rich men by striking provocative poses (laughs) in revealing clothes and spouting suggestive dialogue. In one cartoon, Lily is warned by a policeman. She's illegally wearing a bikini on the sidewalk, to which she asks, Oh, and in your opinion, what part should I take off?
0: Oh, for God's (laughs) sake.
1: Anyway, the newspaper that published this uh, comic strip, started making these dolls, they gave them uh, bachelor parties. Oh, they had God. little dresses and oh, outfits, geez. and just like Barbie now, you know. Yeah. And men used to use them to decorate their boats and their cars, like, oh, here's my girlfriend, that kind of uh-huh. thing.
0: All and right.
1: so Ruth Handler took it, they reworked it, turned it into Barbie, and reintroduced the
0: doll. Okay.
1: Build Lily, B-I-L-D, a German doll.
0: Did you ever wonder, Bob, why we call the Lone Ranger The Lone Ranger, if Tonto was always hanging around? (laughs) (laughs) Well, he was, he had been a Texas Ranger. Correct.
1: And something happened and he went rogue out on his own. I forget
0: what it was. Well,
1: I used to know this legend. This was Yes,
0: there's a lot of backstory with the Lone Ranger. And it
1: was all developed up in Detroit, Michigan, where the radio station came up with the show, The Lone Ranger. It wasn't in Texas.
0: While you've been reading about Barbie, I've been going down the rabbit hole about the Lone Ranger. Okay, (laughs) tell me. Well, there's a whole lot of backstory, and I think they addressed some of it in the 2013 movie with Johnny Depp, who played Tonto. Okay. At least Jay Silverheels. Remember him? He yes. was the uh, tanto in the TV program who was a full-blooded Mohawk, by the way. Anyway, as the story goes, the Lone Ranger was the only survivor of a group of six Texas Rangers who were wiped out by the Vicious Cavendish gang. Oh, a gang. Okay. Yeah. And our guy was left for dead, but Tonto came upon him and nursed him back to life. Oh! And as luck would have it, not long after that, Tonto and the Lone Ranger saved a brave stallion from being gored by a buffalo, and they nursed the horse back to life. And then they set him free, but that trusty horse kept following them. All
1: that had to be silver.
0: Hi-ho, it was. <laughs> <laughs> high ho silver! Yeah. So there's all sorts of stories that go with uh, Tonto and the Lone Rangers.
1: You know, it's funny. Uh, uh, what, it was One of the first guys I ever interviewed on the phone was... Clayton oh. Moore. Oh, I
0: forgot. I remember Clayton you told Moore, me that. Clayton Moore, who was the
1: Lone Ranger from the TV series. My boss, Craig Swope at KDTH in Dubuque, I was saying, you should interview a bunch of these celebrities. You'll enjoy it. He says they want publicity. And so he made some calls. He'd worked in Los Angeles. He made some calls to L.A. and got Clayton Moore's number. And I called him up. He was on a tour because that first Lone Ranger movie that came out in the uh, 70s, uh-huh. uh, you know, he wanted to be known as the Lone Ranger from the TV series. That's how he made a. Living. He went out and signed autographs and went to places and spoke. And the movie company, they were taking away his right to use the mask. So he couldn't make a living. It was interfering with his way to make a living. And there was a court case. Oh, and it turned yeah, I remember out to be, that. Yeah, it turned out to be real bad publicity for the movie company. And finally, they caved, and then they made him part of their publicity program yeah, for yeah. this film.
0: Was he a good interview? He was
1: great. Oh. And he had that voice, that raspy voice, yeah. you can imagine. And he was so true to the character. Yeah, was he? Oh, he was. That's cool. And he was so nice to me on the phone. And he, he was one of those guys... First person I ever interviewed, and he kept saying my name, Bob. You know, they always would write it down, well, Bob, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) And it was great. And then I eventually got a nice autograph picture from him. He'd been a a circus acrobat and everything else as a young man. We'll have to play that someday, part of that. That'll be fun to play.
0: All right. You talked so much about my question. I got another one. Okay. (laughs) Sure. Why do bulls have nose rings and cows don't?
1: Why do bulls have nose rings? And cows don't. Okay, that had uh, obviously it has something to do with the gender. Uh, is it because the bulls were given nose rings to keep them more docile uh, Then the cows were females? They were not as violent as the bulls.
0: How does how did it keep them docile? Well, you
1: put a ring through somebody's nose; they're going to follow you wherever you yank them.
0: Oh, it, you <laughs> yank them. That's yeah. it for yanking. The term "bullheaded" came from very cranky animals like bulls who don't always want to do what you want. In fact, rarely do they do what you want. So to get them to go where you want them to go, they are ringed before they are a year old. Wow. And uh, if they need to get them moved somewhere, they can do it with a rope through their nose. And the bulls follow pretty quickly because they can be led around by the nose. It
1: would hurt pretty badly if they didn't.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly right. That's two phrases, let around by the nose and bullheaded, that come out of that custom.
1: I didn't know that. That's very good. Mm -hmm. Okay, I got one more food question for you today. All right. You've heard of uh, tiramisu. You've had that for dessert. I love tiramisu. Okay, what's the main flavor of tiramisu? Is it orange, strawberry, chocolate, vanilla, or coffee?
0: Well, those are all in there uh, in some degree. I'll say chocolate. No, No.
1: I would have said that too. No.
0: Second chance, Marsh. Oh, okay. Uh, Then I'll say coffee.
1: That's it. It's a coffee-flavored Italian dessert made with lady fingers, uh, Mm. dipped in coffee, layered with whipped mixture of eggs, sugar, and mascarpone cheese, uh, Uh flavored with cocoa. Yeah. Did you know that's a relatively recent dessert? No. We never heard about this when we were growing up, and that's because there was very little mention of it in cookbooks before the 1960s. It made its first appearance in print in Italian in 1980 and in English in 1982.
0: Huh. Well, now I know why I can't always get to sleep. After having tiramisu, yeah, because it's got, got coffee, coffee in, it. in it. Okay,
1: okay. Years ago, we saw that recent documentary on Paul Newman and uh, Joanne, Woodward. Joanne Woodward. They were interviewed by Edward R. Murrow back in the day uh-huh. when they were, you know, their big stars in the 1950s. Uh-huh. What was the one story Edward R. Murrow wouldn't let them tell?
0: Oh, really? Yes. Oh, how they met? Because he was married at the time. No, no. Um, I don't
1: know. It was a story about their bed. Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward had bought a huge bed from a New Orleans brothel Oh yeah! shortly after they were married, and they wanted to tell this colorful story of the bed on the TV show, but
0: Edward R. Murrow wouldn't let them too, do that. Too uh, racy, huh?
1: This is London.
0: This is not your bedroom. <laughs> That's right. But that would have been interesting. It would have been interesting. Yeah. Okay.
1: Remember the old movie, Birdman of Alcatraz?
0: Burt Lancaster
1: portrayed Robert Stroud the Birdman, but who was in the cell next to him? What future TV star?
0: Was he a heavyset guy?
1: He was a big guy. Had a distinctive look to him.
0: Yeah. I don't know. I can't remember his name.
1: Telly Savalas.
0: Oh, that wasn't who I was thinking of.
1: Yeah, he played the convict in that 1962 film, and then, of course, he became Kojak on Kojak. TV. Kojak.
0: <laughs> it was a K. I knew it Love had you, a K. Love you, baby, yeah.
1: <laughs> he always had the popsicle and everything. All right. Yeah, but he was uh, he was in that movie.
0: Okay. Didn't know that. Why do we say something worthless is for the birds, Bob?
1: Oh, that's for the birds.
0: Mm. That's, a good... <laughs> that's exactly how they say it. That's for the
1: birds. <laughs> You know, you used to see that more in the old movies, you know, like in the 30s, people would say things like, ask for the birds. Uh Usually they're from Brooklyn for some reason. I don't (laughs) don't know the answer to that, Marsh. Well,
0: in the days of horses in the streets, before cars, horses would leave uh, behind a fair amount of nature deposits.
1: That's right. They did their, quote, business in the street.
0: These deposits carried a lot of undigested oats, which birds like to swoop in on. And die now. Uh huh. And the people of the time coined the expression for the birds as meaning anything of the same value as those horse droppings. In poop. Yeah. <laughs> so, that's for the birds. Yeah. So that's I where. get the, it now. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? I
1: had no idea. Yeah.
0: I love origins. I do too. You have something else you want to I do have something the, else. Oh, please share. <laughs> <laughs> Don't give me that stink eye.
1: I just uh, saw this the other day, and I thought this was interesting. You know, Devil's Tower. that's that uh, famous feature of the land out in Wyoming. It looks like something that's growing up out of the, yeah, you know yeah. It, was, it was in the uh, one of those movies, what, the Spielberg yeah. movies. What was that Encounter? called? Close encounters. Of yes, the third time. So the Devil's Tower. that's a strange looking yeah thing that came up. I always thought that was a volcanic plug. But now they've come up and saying, no, that's not what it was. Why is it? Well, it looks like it was thrust up out of the ground, but it's a massive rock formation, 1,267 feet above the grassland area around it. It's believed that the rock is made of magma, that's molten rock, but it's no longer believed to be a volcanic plug. They think instead that the, the rock around it eroded away because it is an igneous rock and everything else eroded away. It's believed to have formed one to two miles below the Earth's surface. And starting between 5 to 10 million years ago, it began to be exposed gradually through the process of weathering and erosion. I was
0: going to say, erosion. So how much is still underground?
1: Everything around it was, is gone. Yeah. It's the only thing standing. All the rest of the surface of the Earth eroded, leaving that there.
0: That's amazing.
1: It's accepted. It's called a proto-light or porphyry rock. The surrounding softer rock was stripped away. I, it's just, it's amazing. Well, by the way, where did it get its name Devil's Tower? They think it may be a result of a bad translation.
0: Oh, yeah, for Indian translation? That's right. Well, What is it?
1: The site was known by the Indians as Bear Lodge. That's what the Native Americans Uh called it. And they think it was associated with bears rather than evil spirits. It's suspected a bad translation led the men to confuse the word for bear and bad God. So they confused those two. That's that's
0: happened more than once. So because
1: it was bad God, it must be the devil. It's a devil's tower there. (laughs) Okay. Do you have a thought for the day?
0: Yes, I'd like to end with a couple of quotes on perseverance, Bob. Okay. First one is from Mary Ann Rodmacher. What? What? Marianne Rodmacher. Who's she? I don't know.
1: Okay. Marianne Rodmacher. It sounds like a fake name to it's, me. Okay. Okay. Anyway,
0: she said courage doesn't always roar. Sometimes courage is the little voice at the end of the day that says, I'll try again tomorrow.
1: Well, that's that's true. Isn't that Sometimes nice? it does take that little voice for courage.
0: Yeah. Okay. It, Thomas Edison? Okay. Many of life's failures are people who did not realize how close they were to success when they gave up.
1: Oh yeah. Well, he he was good with those kind of bromides about Oh yeah. Uh, Keep success trying. is uh, 99% perspiration and 1% inspiration. Yeah, I love that. Lots of
0: failure before you have a success, and that's what the quarterbacks or the great uh, uh, great base, athletes and uh, great athletes say.
1: I had to fail so many times before I became a champion. Yeah. That made me a champion. Yeah. All right. Well, we hope you're a champion and you champion our show. We would like you to rate and review us. If you would, please, if you're so inclined, on the (laughs) podcast platform you listen to us in, Uh, this would be uh, very helpful. And we want to also invite you to submit any kind of questions if you'd like us to try to stump one another with. Just go to our website, theofframp.show, and scroll all the way down to contact us, and you can do it there. And we'll do it here when we return. <laughs> I'm Bob Smith. I'm Marcia Smith. Join us again next time when we bring you more fascinating facts and tantalizing trivia on The, the Off-Ramp. Ramp. The Off-Ramp is produced in association with CPL Radio Online and the Cedarbrook Public Library, Cedarbrook, Wisconsin.